let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come and uh, learn more about this creed uh, that has been passed on for generations. We pray that you would help us to see it, understand it, and uh, worship you as you are revealed through it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so like Michael said, we, we're going to start each of these uh, lessons by uh, together reciting the Apostles' Creed. So if you guys want to read along, let's begin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. So for today, we're going to tackle the first two lines. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And uh, as I was reading various books, there was like, I, I was like surprised by how much information could be contained within these two, first two lines. And so we're just going to try to uh, break it down and we'll only take uh, cursory glances at each of these things. Uh, but the first phrase we'll start with is, I believe. And so... Um, what does it mean to believe, right? When, when people say, I believe, what does it mean to believe? So we'll start with the first one. Faith means assent. Uh, Mary Lou, can you just read that paragraph from Romans? How many will they call on him and they have not believed? And how are they to believe him of whom they have Right. And so Paul is saying in this, in this paragraph, in this chapter, he's saying that uh, people need to hear, people need to know what the gospel is if they're going to believe it. Right. And so it requires an intellectual understanding. It's not just like, oh, just have like faith in like fairy tales or like in uh, pixies or something like that. And then you'll be saved. But he says like, you need to know the gospel. So faith means assent. Right. And I think this is something that's like particularly important for Christians today. Um, a lot of times um, in, in evangelicalism, instead of instead of talking about like what it means to have an intellectual faith, people just say things like, "Oh, it doesn't matter. Just just believe. Just 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 gotta have faith." And I I was just having a conversation with someone from small groups this past week. His name's Sean. And oops, maybe I shouldn't have said his name. But anyway, uh, he was he was visiting, and he's a non-Christian. And one of the biggest barriers to faith for him isn't that like he thinks that Christianity is dumb or anything like that he wants to believe in Christianity but he feels like intellectually there it doesn't um, address all of his concerns or it doesn't address like all of his barriers and so when we try to just talk about faith in a way that's like only mystical or only like uh, I don't know vague or ethereal uh, it's it's not helpful so faith means a sense it, it requires intellectual knowledge right and that's what Paul is again telling us. And so I think this is very important for our witness. Um, 
especially like when you're you know, when you're talking to people and they're like they're like asking questions and if you say something like oh just believe <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't help with people um, so faith means the sun. Okay. All right, let's go to the second one. Faith means trust. Uh, let's see. Gary, can you read the Hebrews? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Great. Um, I'm just going to, I'm only going to like do a couple of the, read a couple of the verses, but then the rest are there so that you can like look at it. But faith, uh, the writer, of, the author of Hebrews tells us is the assurance of things hopeful, right? It, it's, it requires a trust. And if you guys know uh, Hebrews chapter 11, a lot of times it's called the hall of faith, right? It's, it's just a, a, a chapter full of a chapter full of uh, people in the Old Testament who were, who had faith, right? Abraham or, or uh, David or Moses, pe- people who had faith. And so um, what did, what was that faith look like? What did that look like? And um, in chapter eleven, we realize that it's a trust. It's a trust in God. It's a trust of God's promises. Right? It's not this cold, cerebral idea, but it's a joyful response. And so we see that um, throughout. Right? And I think that um, this uh, a couple weeks ago and Sunday in excuse me. A couple weeks ago at Small Groups, we talked about this, right? Uh, the chapter on faith by C.S. Lewis. He said, um, there's a difference between a child knowing uh, just basic religious doctrines versus a, someone who through their faith journey has really come to discover, personally discovered through experience, um, the richness of God's love, the, the, the depth of their own depravity, right? Like, um, Faith isn't just assent, like we said, but it also requires trust. It, it requires belief in who God is and His promises. Uh, any questions so far? About I either? Yeah. Sorry, no. I think that's amazing. I, I didn't really think about that, that every time we recite the Apostles' Creed, we're not just saying, oh, these are the intellectual contents of Christian faith. But we're saying, this is what I trust in. This is, my, this is what I lean on. This is my assurance and and just the first two words right away orients us, right? Right, and like going off of that, like, um, yeah, because like one of the authors was saying, oh, like, we often use like the word I believe so loosely, like, oh, I believe in UFOs, or I believe in democracy, or I believe in communism, right? Like, like it's often used like very, there's like a wide range of meanings for it. And so what does it mean to say we believe? And um, exactly as Michael was saying, it's not just like I believe in God, like I believe in I don't know, women's rights, right? Like it's not like this like ethereal thing, but it's something that we have our faith and our hope and our joy grounded on. And so, yeah, exactly. When we say I believe, it's it's something very deep and personal. From now on, when we recite, we should say I believe. <laughs> <laughs> the grunt is very. The gr- the it adds emotions. Phase, yeah, the depth. Emotions. Uh, Any other thoughts or comments? Already, Um, but I think yeah, a lot of times we just try to create faith as like these two things. Like, oh, it requires both intellect and trust. Uh, But like, what does that really look like, right? And it's important. I think that's why I added number three. Faith means obedience. Uh, Let's see, Tony, can you read the verses from Romans? 
receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, based, right, like exactly. So Paul is isn't saying like this is uh, this is when Paul is writing the letter to the church in Rome, and he's like in the opening section, he's saying like this is what I want to accomplish, or this is what I want to see happen. And he says, uh, "We have received this apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith." And that phrase is uh, there's a lot of like questions about it, but basically it means the faith that is produced. Uh, I mean, the obedience that is produced by your faith, right? Uh, which is really interesting because Paul isn't just saying like, oh, I want people to have faith, uh, which is very vague. And anybody can say like, I believe, but um, he wants people specifically to pr- be obedient, uh, to have obedience that flows from your faith. Right? Uh, and then we all, know the, we all know the chapter from James about how faith by itself is dead. Uh, faith without works is dead. Faith should be producing works. And so, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's great because, you know, the Apostles' Creed is not just a statement of faith, but it's a call to obedience, right? That we're supposed to live in the Apostles' Creed. That this description of, of Jesus, we're supposed to submit and obey Jesus. You know, so. Right, yeah. By when, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, we're not just saying like, oh, this is what I believe, like, in some in some like corner or some compartment of my life and then the rest of my life I'll just leave live however I want to but that statement of faith that sh- it should pervade it should uh, invade like all the different spheres of our lives so that we are wanting to see we are wanting to make the Apostles Creed like the statement of our the overarching theme of our whole lives whether it's um, in our families with our kids or in our school in our work uh, whatever right and so faith, what does it mean to believe? Assent, trust, and obedience. Um, great. Uh, as, as I was studying some more, one of the things that um, this one theologian said was that it's actually not enough to just have faith. And what he was saying was like, um, faith is only uh, effective because of the object of the faith. Right? It's not like believing or like having faith is inherently... Um, going to save you right it's not about like you actually having faith it's what you have faith in right does that make sense and so we come to the next phrase which says in god the father almighty i believe in what i believe in god the father almighty and so this naturally raises the question then who is this god the father um so let's start with number one chow can you read uh the let's see the one on ephesians ephesians 1 3 um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Right. And so when we say we believe in or I believe in God, we're not saying like I believe in God as some abstract philosophical deity who we don't really know. But we're saying specifically I believe in God as revealed in Scripture. I believe in God the Father Almighty, right? The, the one who shows himself, who uh, reveals himself through the Bible, and so in uh, throughout the Bible, we know we get glimpses and pictures of the Triune God, right? Even though the word Trinity never appears, we talked about that last week. Even though the word never appears explicitly, we see pictures of how God the Father is the Father of the Trinity, and Jesus, and He's the Father of Jesus, um, and so. 
why is that important? What's the significance of that? And basically, we believe, again, like that God the Father is the one who sovereignly elects. Uh, Jesus, throughout his ministry, in the, if, especially in the Gospel of John, he constantly says, uh, I'm here to do the will of my Father. Uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says constantly, uh, I'm not here to do my will, not my will, but thine, but your will be done. And so Jesus even lived for God's will, right? God the Father's will. Um, but the God isn't only... Well, actually, any questions about that so far? What is it about God being the Father of the Trinity? Stephen, you have a perplexed look. Um, constantly reading as we go because I missed some of it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, listen to the audio later. I added very descriptive uh, motions in there. Um, so let's go to number two. Harry, can you read um, the, let's see, the one from Romans? All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our, uh, with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right. And so this is talking about the, the doctrine of adoption, right? How we as believers have been adopted into God's family. And so God the Father isn't only just Father of Jesus, but because of Jesus, because of His work, we are now adopted. And now God the Father becomes our Father. Uh, we are sons of God, we are children of God, and we are heirs um, of Him. And again, we talked, we talked about this again in uh, small groups this past week with C.S. Lewis. He said that this is something that's so radical, so transformative if we understood it. Uh, and the analogy that he, C.S. Lewis offers is, um, he said, it's like a, a workshop full of like inanimate wooden puppets. And there's a rumor going around that some of these puppets are coming to life, right? Like the idea that we who were once um, just inanimate, dead objects of wrath, but now we have been adopted as, as sons, as children, uh, that God has... Uh, given us His very Spirit, and so that we are now alive. We're not just—we don't just have these natural bodies, but we have these spiritual bodies. Right? Does this ring a bell? Yes. <laughs> I think it's amazing that you know the creed doesn't tell us, uh, "I believe in God," period, but it tells us who God is. You know, God is Almighty. God is the Father to us, and it's so—it's um, so descriptive and it's so warm and so relational. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I almost feel like uh, it's so earth-shattering for us to say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. It's like, wow, God is our Father. Um, I, it, it amazes me all the more because I'm a recent father, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that kind of love and relationship is just so intense. It's so intense. And, uh, and God says, that's a picture of, of my relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we believe, um, so yeah, some of the authors that I was reading was talking about how God the Father in the Trinity is, um, that's like the reality, right? And so on earth, when we have father-son relationships, that's just the only a foreshadow or like only a type of what the heavenly reality, what the uh, triune reality is supposed to look like. And so um, as good as a father Michael may be, he's constantly trying to uh, mimic or imitate or uh, resemble more and more of God the Father and that kind of 
relation uh, the the relationship that he has with Jesus, right? The the relationship where he uh, loves and guides and protects. Uh, and so, yes, God the Father and the Trinity, um, and the God God the Father of us as adopted believers. And I think like oh, going back to what Michael said about like how uh, it's interesting that he uses this particular phrase right like this is a this is a theme that comes up in the bible right like the idea that god is our father um even though it's just an analogy it's not like literally like i think um it's some people like muslims believe that god the father like some like like angel like came and had sex with mary and that's who jesus is because like whenever we say like jesus is god's son that's like that's how some people interpret that but that's not what we believe right it's, we believe in the uh, virgin conception and so uh, when we say that God is the Father, uh, that's just a picture of right, our own uh, relationship with our fathers. And uh, for some of us, that might be really good and helpful if we had like uh, a really awesome relationship with uh, our fathers. Uh, but other times, it might not be as helpful. But uh, Actually, th- I think it is helpful even when we have horrible fathers. Um, because we know deep in our hearts what our fathers, how our fathers should treat us. And, and I think even when we have bad fathers or fallen fathers or um, inadequate fathers, it reminds us that God is the true father that our hearts long for. He's the real parent that our parents ultimately always fall short of. And so I think even when we have broken parents. Oh, so you're saying that it's helpful in the sense that like because we see how broken it is, like we're like, oh, like against that backdrop, God the Father can only be like yeah, infinitely exactly. better. And I love the way Jesus calls us to call God Abba Father. You know, that very intimate, warm <clears throat> word of Abba, right? Which is somewhat the equivalent of like Daddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, calm down. Um, you know, just, 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 it's not like Father. <laughs> or in Korean, it would be Abuji, you know? It's like Abba, you know, it's like Daddy. You know, it's so warm and intimate. And that's the kind of relationship we have. Yeah. And so what is the importance of knowing this, uh, of realizing that we have, uh, of calling God our Father? And we, again, uh, like Michael was saying, alluding to, like, we have, like, this deep, like, trust. Like, we can, like, we don't have to feel like we are all grown up or feel like we have to, like, have everything together. But we can believe uh, that God is for us and not against us. And so when we feel like things are going bad and we feel like God is out of con- uh, not in control or we feel like things are going bad and God is against us, uh, we know that He's for us, right? We know that because He's adopted us, He's not going to all of a sudden like abandon us. It's not like, I don't know about you guys, but like how many of you like adopt a child and then like when they do something stupid, like poop their diaper, then you like get rid of them, right? It's not like once God has adopted adopted us it's it's for good it's it's permanent it's it's there i'm also wondering you know the fact that the creed says god is a father almighty um i think that you know like i try to take care of judah uh, but i'm not an almighty father uh, i'm just a mere mortal father and so i am not there to protect him 100 percent. so he's going to get hurt and damaged um but I think uh, the fact that God is almighty tells us that the father, his fatherhood, protection, and love, and, and guidance never fails, it never wanes, is always present, uh, which is an incredible comfort when we're going through 
difficulties and trials. It's not like, oh God, you abandoned me. You're not being my father. You're being my father even in those moments. Um, it kind of reminds me of the, the footprints. Those, those uh, really difficult moments is when God is caring for us and loving us. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't talk about the almightiness of God that much because, like, there's like so much that we can talk about: His omnipotence, His omniscience, His immutability, His holiness. Or like, there was like so much stuff. So I just let's check it out. But yes, God is God is sovereign. He is for us. He He can protect us. It's not just like this uh, warm feeling that we just tell ourselves so that we can like uh, I don't know help ourselves like feel better. But it's a truth that we can. Uh, just rest on we can we can set our whole lives on that truth it's, it's like the rock right that Jesus talks about and so yes uh, God uh, the Father is for us he's almighty he's sovereign he's good and that gives us incredible assurance uh, regardless of when things are going badly or when we feel a certain way any other comments or thoughts I was thinking like right now we're doing a sleep training again <laughs> with Judah. Sleep training for those of you who don't know the kids is like you try to teach the baby to sleep on his own. And so what you do is you purposely inflict pain on the kid um, because the, because the kid wants you the kid wants you to pick him up and hold him. But you know what? If you do that, if you coddle him, he's not gonna be able to sleep on his own. It's harmful to him, right? And so you purposely, as a father, bring pain into his life and let him cry. And we let we let him cry last night for about an hour. Um, and uh, it just touches me to realize that God's doing that with me all the time. You know, I'm crying. I'm like, God, why are you doing this to me? And, and he's, he's, he's doing it for my good. You know. Yeah, I think that's. It's like whatever my grandma would like hit me or something like that when I was little. She's like, it's because I love you. I'm like, no, it's not. Um, like maybe, you know, when we're the recipient, we can't appreciate it as much. But when we, once we get older and like we are the ones inflicting pain, I mean, um, showing love to our young ones, um, then we can really appreciate God on a, on a, in a perspective or in a way that we hadn't been able to previously. Yeah, that's really great. Um, okay, we'll, we'll move on to the last line. And so we read about how uh, we said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And so why is this significant? Out of everything that we could have added um, about God, right? Like God talks about how he's like uh, slow to anger and abounding in love. There's like so many descriptions of love, uh, of God. Why, why did the apostles add, or the early fathers um, add this line, the maker of heaven and earth. And so, number one, uh, we it reminds us of who we are, that we are the creature. Let's see. David, um, can you read the, the paragraphs from Job? Yeah. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its base sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? In the morning's... When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for Job. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who, ar- he who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will, or, 
I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Right. And so if you guys don't know the story of Job, basically what happens is Job in the first two chapters, he's he had like a bunch of things when um, God through Satan uh, begins to like take away a bunch of things like all of his possessions and all his children and his wife. And so for like 35, 36 chapters, uh, Job is just talking about how much his life sucks, how like he had done nothing wrong and how God had, had inflicted all this pain on him. And then Job's friends are like, no, you did do something wrong. Like, you need to repent and all these things. And then, so, he, like, again, he's, like, just complaining and complaining. And then in verse, or in chapter 38, God comes in the form of a whirlwind. And he begins to, for two chapters, he's just, like, asking him all these questions. Like, right? And he says, like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who determined these measurements on what, where its base is sunk? And he talks about, like, you know, who takes care of the mountain lions or who uh, looked after the bears, cubs, and all these things. And so he's just like going at it uh, with Job and saying like, who, who do you think you are, right? Like, are you the creator or are you the creature? And Job at the end of it, in chapter 40, he says, I am a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. And I think uh, that this is something that we need to be reminded of, right? Like sin is, uh, sin on some level makes us is when we stop worshiping God and we are curved inward where we begin to think that God should serve us that people should serve us instead of us serving God right and so we begin to see God as, as someone who uh, is made in our image we begin to see God as someone who should make us happy and this is something that's like very popular right uh, CNN just came out with an article like maybe like a year or two ago and it talked about how the vast majority of American evangelicals believe in this thing called therapeutic moralistic deism, which is a fancy way of saying we believe that God exists to make us happy, to make us good creatures, to make us, I don't know, more moralistic, uh, to help us feel good when we're feeling down. And, uh, yeah, a lot of that begins because we think that God is created in our image, because we think that He should serve us. And so if we only would remember who God is, that He is the Creator, then it would, then we would be so much more humble, right? Uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't feel like God owes us anything, but that in anything that He puts us through, we would be grateful for how good He He has been and how good He continues to be. All of His promises, we wouldn't feel like we deserve anything. Uh, any comments about that? The idea that God, being the Creator, should create humility. Because they're all humble. I think, you know, that um, helps us to, it, it informs us how we should study, you know, in school and so forth. Like, when we study biology or when we study astronomy or, or anything like that, we're to always be mindful that God created all these things. And then when we see the intricacy and the... Um, when we see Go to the, sleep. When we see the intricacy and the beauty and, and just the majesty of it all, it's supposed to yeah, inspire awe. I, I don't know if, it, if any of you guys have seen this thing. I'm watching Nova. It's called Fabric of the Universe. Has anyone heard of this? Anyways, I'm really fascinated. I, like, I, I, I record it. And uh, it's just so fun to see just the vastness of the universe and how mind-bending... Um, properties of the universe are and, and just, oh God created all of this mm -hmm. you know and it, it, it 
makes me feel like wonder of who God is. How can I ever think that God is my servant when he created the whole universe? Um. Who said? I think it was like Francis Chan. One thing that he said in the past was like in one of his sermons before he said that the one of the problems is that we don't because like we're so we the only thing that we see on an everyday basis is like streets and highways and, and buildings. So we only see the works of our hands, and we don't take time to go out into the wilderness to look at the stars and to feel small and, and, and insignificant. And so because we only look at I don't know, like in the business of everyday life, we only look at things that are created by us. Uh, we're not constantly reminded of how big God is. And so, uh, yeah, like things like watching Nova or Planet Earth, I think is like really fun too. Uh, like I think whenever we watch that or like even Louis Giglio has like um, his on his sermon series about how big God is. Um, I just, or like when you look at stars, right? Like I just feel like so small and insignificant. Like, um, yeah, when you think about how like Earth is like only I don't know, you can fit like twenty million Earths into the sun, and that's a made-up number. And then like there's like so many bigger suns out there or stars out there, you just feel like the universe is so big and we are insignificant. Um, totally. Any other comments or thoughts? Um, I didn't add this, but I'll just talk about it. So, let's see. Because um, one of the books that I was reading, I said, like, if we understand who God is, that he's a creator and we are the creature, it should create humility. But uh, there's a second one, and it should change the way we, our relationship with the world. And I think, going on what Michael said, like, if we understand that God is a creator, then our relationship with the world begins to take form. Where, like, if we're studying biology, we'll be, we'll... Uh, study with a lot more interest. We won't just feel like, oh, we have to like memorize some I don't know, things about synapses and chlorophyll that is useless. Uh, but everything that we study uh, is a picture, is a is a glimpse into the creativeness of God, the 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 majesty, the bigness of God. And so, yes. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the last uh, number two. So not only should it remind us of who we are, but it reminds us of who God is. Uh, and it should namely create trust and worship. Stephen, can you read um, the passage from Revelation? <laughs> Revelation 14, 11. Uh, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne of worship and lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Right. And so Revelation, uh, basically this is a picture, like John gets like sent up in the spirit into heaven, and he gets a picture of like what the throne room of God looks like. And there's like these people who are just worshiping God. And this is their song. This is what they say. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And... I think sometimes, like when I when I first read that, I was like a little bit confused because I thought we would worship God in heaven for like how how He loves us and Jesus and all these things. Uh, but these but these elders were worshiping God uh, because of how sovereign He was, because He was the Creator of all things, and by His will they existed. Uh, and I think yeah, when we understand how big God is, uh, like going back to the illustration of like 
whether it's watching Nova or looking at the stars and going to Yosemite and hike, camping in the wilderness. Uh, all those things uh, help us to see how big God is and it, and it creates like the sense of wonder, sense of worship in our hearts uh, that we don't get when we are just hanging out with, hanging out in the city or <laughs> just uh, only beholding our own image, right? Any, any, any comments about that? Do you guys have an experience where you guys went out into nature and you were really moved to worship? No. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. All right, just because we have a couple minutes. Um, one thing that's... One question that a lot of people have is, um, isn't... What if God just kind of created the universe and he's like a, he's like a watchmaker? He kind of like winds up the clock and then he just let it be, right? Uh, and so, sure, God might have created it, but how do we know, like, God is continually caring over us? And uh, people think that there's, like, a clockwork universe, right? Uh, but we believe, again, that God exercises continual care, that he is constantly involved in our lives. And we see that most clearly in Jesus, right? That Jesus uh, was not content to just stay up in heaven. Uh, I really liked what Michael said in the seminar for skeptics about um why is how can a good God allow for evil and suffering? And his last point was, God ultimately his ultimate answer for evil and suffering isn't uh, an argument, but it's a person. Right? That Jesus comes down in the form of a human, and he lives among us. He embodies the pain. He embodies the pain and the suffer, suffering and the evil. And because of that, uh, we know that God is constantly uh, and continually caring for us and over us and in us and with us. He's not. If he didn't abandon us then uh, by paying on the cross, right? Like he he went all the way to Calvary. He uh, embodied all that suffering and rejection. Then we know that God is for us. Uh, let's see. One one theologian, uh, I forget where I read it, but I think it was somebody important. But then they said that if God didn't uh, didn't hold back one rejection, one lash of the whip on Jesus, if God didn't hold back. Like one, uh, I don't know, like moment of suffering for Jesus. We know that God is not going to hold back from us every blessing that he wants to give to us. God isn't going to hold back from us every every promise, every uh, moment of care in our lives. And because Jesus was rejected, because Jesus suffered, we know that, that God is for us and with us. Any questions or comments any about the Apostles' Creed or anything that's been said? Chow, you look very, uh... <laughs> Sorry, <I fell> <laughs> Alright, so any Christians have a <laughs> have something to say? <laughs> Alright, very cool. Uh, let's pray then. Uh, Father, we thank you that we are reminded of you, of your fatherliness, of your uh, creatorship, and we pray that as we continue to meditate on those truths as we look into look at the stars and look at the trees that our hearts would be moved to worship you that we would be constantly humbled before you that we would be constantly reminded of your goodness toward us in christ jesus and that we would be moved to obey and believe and worship you more and more we pray that you would be with us as we go into uh, sunday uh, service and help us to love you more pray this in christ's name amen